Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Pocket Limp Podcast. Coming up on this episode of the Pocket Limp Podcast, we look at the mighty swathe of iPhone 15 rumours that have been flooding the net. We talk about the invasion of AI in all things tech, discuss the forthcoming Sonos Era 300 and Era 100 speakers that leaked ahead of an official announcement, and talk about flip phones and the latest tech race for manufacturers. Oh, and we also reveal the Pocket Limp product of the week, which may or may not have a VR flavour. Hi there, I'm Rick Henderson and this is the Pocket Lint Podcast. This week I'm joined by fellow Pocket Linter Luke Baker who will help me cast an eye on this week's tech news and chat about the latest choice for Pocket Lint product of the week. So Luke, how's this week treated you? Yeah, not bad at all. It's been very busy in the run-up to MWC but nothing out of the ordinary. How about yourself? Yeah, well- We'll be we'll be dealing with um, MWC for sure because that's going to be a, a big week next week as well. Um, but yeah, it's been okay. It, it, like you say, very busy. Um, we've had some rather exciting products, and I don't want to give anything too much away uh, based on our product of the week later on. So it's worth hanging around for that for sure. Now on with the top tech news. With Mobile World Congress to start in a matter of a couple of days, it comes as no surprise that phones have dominated the news this week. However, it's actually a handset or series of handsets from a company that never attends MWC that have arguably been talked about the most. Apple's next iPhone models have been subject to a number of leaks, with the iPhone 15 and 15 Pro models having several features and colour options supposedly leaked. Look, is this the continued power of Apple? It always looms over an event it's not even at. Yeah, I suppose so. I think it's just it's a classic marketing move, isn't it, really? it's Everyone's talking about other phones, so don't want to feel left out. Maybe we could let some things leak out. I don't know. I'm not saying there's a conspiracy, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I, to, to specify what leaks we've seen, um, there were a few design renders leaked onto the net for both the iPhone 15 Pro and the standard iPhone 15 that uh, 9 to 5 Mac got hold of and then got a, uh, a renowned render artist to turn into actual designs that we could all see. Um, doesn't seem to be an enormous physical change, does there? No, they look quite familiar. I think the thing that stands out the most is the dynamic island, right? On the yeah, 15, that's not pro. <laughs> that's the biggest that's the biggest take really is that the uh iPhone 15 
is supposedly getting the dynamic island that appeared on the iPhone 14 Pro models, which is a big change. And anybody who's using iPhone 14 Pro or Pro Max will know that it's actually really good. Uh, the dynamic island is one of my favorite features on that device. So um, it's great that it's going to go down the line um, and sort of like tie together the entire family because it was mildly disappointing to find out that the iPhone 13, uh, iPhone 14, I've forgotten which generation we're on, <laughs> iPhone, the iPhone 14 had the uh, continued with the notch. So, um, so it'd be nice to see it step up. The other big thing, of course, and this is a big thing uh, for all Apple devices going forward, is that they will have a USB-C charging point. Now, this is mandatory. Um, because the EU is bringing uh, has brought about a rule to state that all portable devices, not just phones, but also cameras and any other sort of device that can be technically taken around with you, will have to have USB-C charging going forward, or at least going forward from 2024. And I think Apple are kind of preempting that rule, aren't they? Yeah, um, I think... Some people are surprised that it's taken this long because we've seen USB-C on other Apple devices already. Um, but then, yeah, I suppose it's it's quite an Apple-y move <laughs> making people use your own proprietary cables. And uh, the thing I'm most interested in is whether it will have the full USB-C capabilities that you see on an Android phone or whether it will be some kind of locked-down Appleified version or if you have to use a special apple cable maybe yeah well there is gossip about that in the fact that there's a rumor that at the very least the standard models will um lock down the uh the, they will limit the spec of the USB-C, so it won't be able to do um many other things probably other than charge the phone uh, uh, charge yeah. the device um <clears throat> and that would be a shame it's not that it's not that Apple cannot do that. It cannot have a, a USB C that works. iPad Pro models have USB C that you can plug pretty much anything into. The obviously mm. the MacBooks do. So um, it's it would be a shame if it does lock it down. I suspect it won't as it happens because yeah. what it won't want to do is to be in this position in another two years time with the EU having re-standardized its mandate. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> saying that you have to allow other things to connect to it as well, so um, I think they'll uh, they'll be bite the bullet, go for it, um, but then still maybe have some kind of system where um, it will it will run better if you have an authorized iPhone <laughs> or an authorized Apple USB C cable and charger. Yeah, something you're probably there, right. I think. That sounds that sounds very feasible to me. Of course, another massive trend during the rounds this moment is AI. Every tech company seems to be implementing some form of artificial intelligence into their future devices. And then there are the chatbots and automated art tools that have been available to the public to try out. The likes of ChatGPT and Bard have certainly proved popular, if not a little aggressive of late. Not always for the right reasons, therefore. Luke, is this something we should embrace or be scared of? Is it Skynet? Uh, well, I don't think we're going to have much choice other than to embrace it because everything is adopting AI as fast as possible. And you can see why it's so impressive, like the, the capabilities. 
but there are some aspects that are a little uh, concerning. I know a lot of people are afraid they're going to lose their job to an AI. <laughs> Hopefully, it doesn't come for us. It's pretty good at writing already. So. <laughs> I know, yeah, I did think that because I wrote a story the other day about um, the Kindle store in the US, certainly being absolutely flooded with books that have been written by Chat GPT, mm. um, and. The worrying part, the worrying aspect of that is that some authors aren't being transparent by that. So they're not saying it's been written by ChatGPT, but obviously cutting down on their workload immensely by just getting an AI to write it based on certain parameters. Because you can basically, you can say in this chapter, talk about how John eats a sausage and uh, a chat GPT sounds like a good book but... <laughs> <laughs> a whole chapter <laughs> and chat GPT writes it I think anyone who's watched Terminator knows that Skynet didn't start by uh, John eating a sausage um, <laughs> although his name was John ironically yeah, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so subliminal there but I think that's where for me, it becomes a little bit um, – it's okay when you know it's an AI. If, if you're fully aware that a chatbot or, or your um, your complaints, customer complaint is being handled by a chatbot or, or you know, even you're having a, a decent conversation with a chatbot about Liverpool Football Club, which is what I did the other day, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine because I know, I, I know it's AI. Where it becomes a little scarier um, is when you aren't aware and people are essentially not telling you it's an AI. And that's, I can see that happening within months, let alone years. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think, um, however, remember that show, um, Catfished. Yeah, you can see yeah. that happening so easily with AI. Catfished by AI. Generate, generate some profile pictures and <laughs> start chatting with people. I'd like to know when. It's crazy. Um, I mean, this stuff is so good at times. I mean, other times it's really bad. Like the, there's some a couple of really funny memes where somebody had a rant, a, a raving argument with, I think it was ChatGPT about the um, viewing times of Avatar, where it kept, <laughs> where it kept, kept demanding that it wasn't quite, it wasn't 2023 yet, so the film hadn't come out. And uh, and eventually started genuinely, genuinely saying offensive things to, to the user. Yeah, that was um, Bing's version of ChatGPT yeah. that they're <laughs> they're in beta testing for. They definitely need to. I don't know if they have like an aggression slider, but they need to tone it down a little bit. I think. <laughs> it got very aggravated very quickly. But they could go the other way, of course, and it could come become too amorous. Uh, and, and be very personal <laughs> indeed. But the other thing that I did think about it, and what I would like to see, how how I'd like to see it implemented, is in voice assistants. I actually think voice assistants could benefit greatly from this kind of AI yeah. um, simulation. It'd be incredible. You genuinely would feel it would feel conversational then, rather than just ask question, get an answer. I think that's um, going to happen really quickly as well. Yeah, now I think the cat is. I think the stable doors have opened. That's the correct yeah. um, term for it, and uh, I think we're going to see a hell of a lot of this now. Um, also in the news, Sonos will be spitting feathers after its next connected speakers were leaked ahead of an official launch sometime in the next couple of weeks. 
the Sonos Era 300 and Era 100 speakers will bring a few new features to the table, including Bluetooth connectivity and spatial audio support. Look, do you think Sonos has to move with the times by adding extra connectivity, or do you think its fans just simply won't care? Um, it's a tricky one. I think they they have such a loyal fan base and such a good reputation that no matter what, people will enjoy and continue to buy their speakers. But for me, I, I own a couple of Sonos speakers and the amount of times I've been frustrated because I can't get something I want to play through it, like I can't even count how many times that's happened. So for me, I'm all in on more connectivity. I'd love to see it. But it, whether it gets whether that happens, I'm not entirely sure. I'll tell you what I would really like to see is uh, better Farfield mics um, for mm -hmm. voice assistants. But again, back to voice assistants. Um, my Sonos Arc is incredibly annoying with Alexa um, because, for starters, it, every time anybody says anything, not even similar. On the TV, it suddenly stops, pauses the audio, and goes, "What do you want?" And you think, "Hang on, I hate that so much." Yeah, and and considering it's meant to be there to be a, a home cinema soundbar, uh, that it can get infuriating. So it's nowhere near. I don't think it's as good as having a separate solution, um, so that you have a, a say an Echo Dot somewhere else. And use the and then send your music to the Sonos Arc rather than use the voice assistant in it. So I'm I'm really hoping that the era picked up on this and and doing better. One worry for those who prefer to use Google Assistant and Google Home is that um, Sonos currently has a a bit of an argument with Google. There's a long running dispute and I think it's gone to court. Uh, so we aren't sure right this minute whether it will even support Google Assistant. So until we find out, you know, we can't say one way or another, but it may be that you are stuck with Alexa, sadly. So and finally, there seems to be a new battleground forming when it comes to foldable phones, with a couple of rumoured flip-style clamshell devices said to be increasing the size of their front displays. First, we had the recently launched Oppo Find N2 Flip expand its front screen, but now reports suggest Samsung and Motorola are looking to make the entirety of the top of the Z Flip 5 and Razer 2023 model a display, respectively. Is this a wise move, Luke? Um, I... I think from a usability standpoint, I mean, well, the form factor is weird because it's pretty much just a small square when it's folded, right? Yeah. So I suppose it depends how well apps can scale to that form factor or if they do something clever with their software to make it work. But the thing I like about the Oppo one is it's, it's the right um, aspect ratio for a normal phone. It's just really quite small. Whereas you start to run into problems when you make things square and the OS isn't ready for things to be square. So, yeah, it depends how much effort they put into the software, I, I'd say. It would certainly give it some more real estate to actually be more functional other than just give you a notification or two. Um, yeah. I think, isn't it, does the Find N2 Flip, I haven't seen it myself, but does the Find N2 Flip um, allow you to see the camera viewpoint? Yes. Or selfies, and, for example. And it's essentially uncropped because it's the right aspect ratio. 
See, that's which is probably that's its strongest feature. The, I think at the moment though, you can't open apps on that screen, so you can't have like a tiny little app on the front screen, which a lot of people were hoping it would do, and that might come in future firmware, I think. But at the minute, it's still it's notifications and a camera preview essentially. That's about all you can do, with it, I think. But at least the camera preview is a, is a very useful thing. Um, yeah, definitely. I, it, be interesting to see what Motorola and Samsung do. We've seen um, leaked renders of both phones, um, the specifically the Motorola, which had classified and confidential stamped all over it, so it did look official. Um, interestingly, obviously, there's the the camera because it has to work as the whole phone camera. Um, it generally is quite big and has multiple lenses. I think there's two on the Motorola Razor. Um, and therefore, they cut out of that screen. So you're already using up some of that real estate anyway. Yeah. So um, there'll be in, it's it's one of those massive battlegrounds that, that phones go through every now and again. Then it will be the camera again. Then it will be back to the screen <laughs> size. Um, I was we'll going to say it's almost a shame that you can't put the screen on the other side of the flip, but then you wouldn't be able to use it for camera preview. Oh, I remember. Oh God, what was the <laughs> company that Yota that did the Yota phone, where it was a um, an e-ink display on the back of the phone? Oh right, yeah. So that you could you could read books up from the on the back of your phone without having to switch the phone on. And interesting. Uh, well, it it was appalling. To be honest, they don't <laughs> exist anymore. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and on that and on that note, that was the news. Now on to the section we like to call the Pocket Lint Product of the Week. There's one product that really stood out this week, which hit the market with quite a bang. So, what's our Product of the Week? It's actually quite easy to choose this week, and it was my decision. It's the PlayStation VR 2. Sony finally released its second VR headset for PlayStation consoles, this time for the PS5, and this time it is a significant upgrade on the original PSVR. It features a high-resolution OLED panel with HDR, eye tracking, haptic feedback in the headset and, and the Sense controllers, motion tracking done using the headset itself rather than an external camera, and plenty of other bells and whistles. Look, you've now... Getting it sort of like being transparent, you've not played with it yourself. I reviewed no. it for Pocket Lint, but you've got decent experience with other virtual reality devices, so you are quite experienced with VR generally. So, what did you make of the PSVR 2 from afar? Um, it looks really interesting. There's a few things which I've never personally tested on a on any headset, which is the haptic feedback in the headset. That's quite interesting and very rare. And the um, eye tracking, which I know Meta is making a big thing about, and they want everything to have eye tracking, but I've, I've never tried anything with eye tracking. I'd be interested to hear how they worked for you. Well, let's start with the eye tracking, because that's probably the feature that most have been impressed by on PSVR 2, and, and myself included. It is genuinely incredible, the way it is implemented. Um, it's uh, once you set it up, and it's very easy to set up, it's, it, there's a little setup screen, and all you have to do is look at a dot that moves around the screen in both a, a darkened situation and in a, a lighter situation. 
then um, you only have to sort of, like, whenever you want to test it, you just look at little dots around the edges of the screen. It's so quick and it's so responsive. And it understands exactly where you're looking whenever, whenever you are. Um, there is a caveat. It does require two eyes. So anybody who hasn't got vision in both eyes sadly won't be able to use it. And that is real shame because it is it can be transformative. Now, developers will obviously implement it in whichever way they want. But there are two specific ways that can be implemented in games and are, is being implemented in games. One is that it can be used as part of the gameplay itself. So you can look at something happening and it therefore it knows exactly where you're looking and that can perform an action. One example is when climbing a cliff, you can look to where your handhold, next handheld should be and it the camera kind of cleverly focuses in, in on that area and gives you a hint. Um, or the um, another example is Res Infinite. There is an actual mode within the settings of the game where you can play it using your eyes rather than um, the uh, the controllers. So you can, it, I don't know if you've ever played the game, but you're flying through space in a kind of Tron-like world and um, invaders are around your screen. All you have to do is look at them using your eyes to actually um, shoot them, which is, and it That's works. Cool. It works brilliantly. Um whether it all sort of that kind of um, action really takes off, I don't know. But what I, I have noticed is at first you do need to get used to it, actually. That's the one main thing because obviously the big thing about he uh, headsets in past is you had to move your entire head. If you wanted to look elsewhere, it's kind of a static motion and you had to move the whole head. So you do end up still doing that as soon as you put the PSVR 2 on. But, of course, you don't necessarily need to do that in certain games because the eye tracking works so well. Um, the other benefit of eye tracking is on a development level is uh, where they can use a technology called foveated rendering. And what that does is it makes sure that the point on the screen that you are directly looking at is the point that is given the most graphics budget. So it renders them the best graphics and gives you the highest resolution and the highest detail in that area. It can actually soften and 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 collapse the detail in other areas to allow it to have more bandwidth. And therefore, you get a better experience because you never see that. You never see the blurry bits. Um, and it allows developers to give you an even better experience because it knows exactly where you're looking. And I think that is going to be transformative not just in the gaming field, but in every form of VR. And it will be it will be a, a, a massive shock if we see many VR headsets coming out in the near future that don't have eye tracking because that's yeah. it, it's a game changer, literally. And that will allow you to uh, pump out a higher resolution with less power. Easily, hardware, yes. Right? Yeah. So and, is it and which 4K is FRI, did you say? It's two hundred by two hundred two thousand. Sorry, by two thousand forty per eye. Okay, Close um, but and you can't see the dots. You genuinely can't unless you are really looking. And it's in a scene that's got a lot of grey, for example, or a very static pastel shade. That's the only time you can really see. Um, most of the time, you can't see them, and because it's running off the PlayStation Five, the resolution of the graphics is also very high. So um, you. It's incredibly impressive. It's also 90 hertz and 120 hertz. 
Um, so depending on the on the thing, most of the games I think I've seen so far run at ninety hertz, because mainly because uh, they've been either converted converted from older PSVR to uh, older PSVR games or Meta or um, HTC games. Yeah, and they were running at ninety hertz originally, so wasn't worth upscaling them for the just for the PSVR two. But the, uh, I mean, it's an extraordinary experience. The haptic feedback in the headset as well, as you mentioned, that is also, it's subtle. That's the best thing about it is because I could mm. imagine it being overblown and and people just making... I can't making, imagine it. That's why I asked about it. Like, yeah, I don't it's know what very, very like subtle. Or, the, what, give you an example of a great use for it. In Horizon Call of the Mountain, which is the flagship game for this headset at launch, because it's the main first-party title. There's a bit where a stormbird, right at the right at the very beginning, stormbird flies over your head, and not only is the 3D audio spatially tracking it, which works really well, even with the included in-ear earbuds. You also get a very slight sort of like feeling of the wind of that sort of like. Ah, okay. Just because, cool. just because the headset itself is giving you a, a mild sensation, um, and then of course the sense controllers do as well because they've got the same as the dual sense controller. They've got that haptic feedback and adaptive triggers, so everything combined is incredibly immersive. Weirdly, my favourite game on it so far, and I've I've got about twelve games. I've only played about six. Is um, a canoe game where yeah. <laughs> you are literally. You're literally in a canoe, at first in a swimming pool to learn the tutorial basics, and then you can choose different areas of the world to go and canoe in. And again, I think it uses the haptic feedback and the sense controllers really well to the extent where I genuinely at one point thought I was holding some oars. Yes. The paddle. <laughs> it was really, really good. The most so, convincing one I've ever played was a table tennis one, and it really did... Like it, I felt like I was playing table tennis. I was I couldn't tell the difference. It's crazy. That's brilliant. But there there was a there was a canoe game I played. I can't remember what it was called now. It was like a stealth canoe game, a bit like Splinter Cell, but in a canoe in VR. Oh wow! And brilliant. Like because it completely gets over the problem of movement. Like yeah, it's, it's very natural to sit in a chair and move your arms, and you actually feel like you're canoeing. Whereas if you're using a joystick to move about that's quite unnatural if you're waving your arms or however the many ways they solve motion in vr games it's a very very clever idea i i, I must admit i mean the psvr2 much like um the top end headsets can let you play either sitting standing still or in a in a um what they call room scale mode which is where you can move about your room the room scale mode is tricky because it requires a space of two meters by two meters which yeah. an awful lot of people might find restricted that they are restricted from that but to be honest i haven't found anything that i've thought was a, a poor experience just by standing still or sitting down and you can pretty much play everything sitting down if you don't fancy standing still some people f can become nauseous because of the standing up thing. So sitting down, I tend to find really, really works well and certainly works well on games where you're flying a spaceship, riding in a canoe or um, or driving a car. Um, GT7 
VR mode on that, which was only just pushed to the game at launch, is incredible. And yeah. and I've Especially always if you have a wheel, I bet like that'd be crazy. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah. Well, I, I, I've been using it with the controllers, but the um, the one thing that I noticed, and I, I've noticed this before, I think it was Drive Club on the original PSVR, is when you're actually playing a driving game, even with a wheel with a with flat screen in front of you or even a curved screen in front of you, you tend to look straight forward. You don't really look around very much. When you are playing a driving game in VR, you tend to do exactly what you would do in driving, which is to look into the corner before you turn it. And it's transformative. It completely feels different. And it actually helps. It helps your driving times dramatically because you are looking for the apex. You're you're actually looking for the apex rather than tr- driving by instinct. And um, yeah, I, it's it's I'm, I'm gobsmacked by the PSVR. But let's talk about the elephant in the room. It's pricey. It's really expensive. Now, considering the PlayStation uh, Five itself is what four fifty. Yeah. PlayStation VR two is five hundred and fifty pounds. And that is a lot of an outlay. And if you're not got a PlayStation 5 already and you're wanting to get PSVR 2, you're talking about a grand just to have it up and running. The caveat to that is that to do an equivalent kind of experience on PC would probably cost mm-hmm. you more. That's the yeah, one. I'm a PC guy, so to me, like... 550 is fine. <laughs> 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 but I get that it's more than the console. But um, I don't know. In the in the early days when headsets were costing a grand and you need a three grand PC to make it work, it's like yeah. <laughs> okay, five fifty seems okay. I mean, there's a lot of hardware in there, like the the eye track in the four K. That like it's it wouldn't be a cheap headset to make. So I can see how it, they've reached that price. Yeah, I guess the the only thing that would concern me is the game library. I know you said a lot of stuff's come over from the old PSVR and other stuff's been ported from uh, the Oculus Store and whatever yeah. else. Um, but like, do you know how many games there are in total at the moment? Or At, at launch, or, a, or what they call the launch window, which is basically between 22nd of February and 22nd of March, that month, uh, there are 40 games, okay. just over 40 games that are being launched or already have been launched. Um, there are hundreds in development. But the same was the tr- was true with... Uh, the two major criticisms of the PSVR 2 have been launch games haven't been prolific enough and it's too expensive. However, however those were exactly the same co- um, criticisms of the Nintendo Switch, I seem yeah. to remember. And yes. uh, that didn't do too badly. <laughs> Uh, and then, um, and also, I did some research into the original PSVR, which is still to this date the highest selling or the most box shifting VR headset to date because it's they have sold over 5 million units. Sony sold over 5 million units in total. Is that more than the Quest 2? Um, do you know what? It might, it might have been before the Quest 2 figures came out. That, yeah. that was commented, but five million is not to be sniffed. Oh, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's a hell of a lot of a fairly pricey device. And at launch, the PSVR, if you 
account for inflation would have been the equivalent of £500. And it was it was considerably more expensive than the PS4. So yeah. while we are criticising the PSVR 2, it's, it's not a new um, strategy by Sony. It is exactly the same. And what I think sold immeasurable amounts of PSVRs was when sales periods came about. And I think that will happen again. That will be the case again. Once we get a year down the line with PSVR 2, I think you'll see it start to become more affordable. And that's where the, the it will all change. And by then, of course, there'll be hundreds of games. The, the PR, For example, for the original PSVR, there are more than 600 games available. So, wow. you know, so eventually you can imagine there'll be similar amounts for the PSVR 2. The only big problem I have with PSVR 2 is it's not backward compatible. And I'm really, I don't know why that is. I can only imagine that it's a quality reason that they decided they didn't want people to buy a PSVR 2 and then play an original PSVR game and think, oh, this doesn't look very good. Mm. That's the only yeah, thing that I can sense. think. Yeah, so I want, and a lot, like I said, a lot of um, original games are being upscaled and up uh, and remastered for PSVR 2. But I wonder if they'll actually make it back compatible sometime down the line when people are fully aware that it of its capabilities. So that's just something that I think might happen. Well, I think we've we've pretty much done PSVR 2. Go and read my review on Pocket Lint com it's uh it's quite a read i've also done things like compare the two headsets together and i've done some tips and tricks if you want to check those out too so luke thank you very much for joining us on the uh, pocket link podcast this week you're very welcome thanks for having me and yeah always a pleasure always a pleasure <laughs> never a chore <laughs> And that's it for this episode of the Pocket Lint Podcast. Please join us again next time and also visit pocketlint.com for all the tech and games news, reviews, buyers, guides and roundups from the entire team. Plus, you can also sign up to our daily newsletter, which will deliver current stories and more to your email inbox each weekday. Until then, please give us your feedback on the Pocket Lint socials or podcast platform of your choice. I've been Rick Henderson. Catch you on the flip-flop. <laughs>